If you're enjoying the show so far, please consider helping by supporting our show. Although never expected, any support for our show enables us to keep bringing the audiobook club to your ears. Thank you so much for tuning into the show and welcome to Season 2 of the Audiobook Club with John York. The Audiobook Club, partnered with Pro Audio Voices, celebrates audiobooks, the amazing people and teams who make them happen, as well as the various talents behind storytelling. To learn more about Amplify and other opportunities to grow your sales, platform and audience, head over to ProAudioVoices.com and listen out for a short but informational advertisement within this episode. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the final episode of Season 2 of The Audiobook Club. In this week's episode, we're so lucky to be joined by audiobook narrator and actor Parvi Pruchko. Parvi, it's so lovely to have you join us on the show. How are you today? I am very well. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> oh, thank you for taking the time. Um, so as is tradition on the show, I would love to start uh, by asking you quite a big question. Mm. And that is how you first began your journey in this in this crazy world of audiobooks. Oh, man. So I was a stage actor. I um, was a musical theater major uh, in a in a past life a thousand years ago. And I liked it. Um, a lot. I still sing and I, I I was performing for a while, even while doing the audiobooks. But it really kind of I took to audiobooks um, as a consumer. I like to listen to them because I was riding my bike everywhere because I'm in Chicago, a starving artist, and I have no other way to get anywhere. And, you know, the public transit's too expensive even. So um, I'm on my bike everywhere and I started listening to audiobooks that way. Um, and I just fell in love with listening to it. And I just thought maybe I could do that. Um, and so after toying around with that idea for a little while, I found my way to ACX, which I think also a lot of us ended up at. Um, and uh, a friend of mine, just his partner was doing uh, audiobooks, recommended it. I looked it up. I signed up. I put a headshot up um, and some samples, like took some books off the shelf, recorded, and um, was very lucky. Got a few good gigs like right off the bat. Um, and just started doing it while I was doing this day job, while I was doing some um, uh, theater still. Um, and then they fired me from my day job <laughs> because <laughs> I didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, and I got very lazy and I was like, I want to go back to part time. And they were like, OK, <laughs> three months later, they're like, you're out. Um, and so uh, I just kind of put my head down and really focused on the audiobooks. Um, started really putting in a lot of auditions. Meanwhile, doing, you know, deliveries on my bicycle to like make ends meet if I needed to. But um, again, I was very lucky. I got a couple series that were paying really well and they were popular and um, I was able to to survive for a little while longer. Um, and eventually it just got good enough that I even didn't really want to do the live performing anymore. Um for now, I don't. I, I reserve the right to go back on that, but uh, especially in Chicago, not to disparage uh, an entire community, but I'll probably disparage the entire community. Now. <laughs> um, I, just, I just was not a fan of the Chicago theater scene, and um, in some ways that were just really 
I love a lot about it. And there were some ways that it just was kind of untenable um, as I'm like was reaching my 30s. And I'm like, I don't I don't think I could do this anymore. I'm just tired and uh, had gone through like this big breakup and started seeing my current husband. And it was just like it was a lot of changes going on. Um, and so I kind of ended up taking a step back after I ruined my voice which is horrifying for an audiobook narrator. Um, I did a stage play that really kind of messed up my my voice because um, uh, it was like an acoustic problem and they weren't miking us and it was very bad. And so I was like, you know what? I have a superpower and that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do the audiobooks and see where that goes. And, you know, now the rest is history. Did you, because I know you have a background in music also. And yeah. with acting and obviously voice acting and narration, there's also writing as well thrown in there that I want to ask you a little bit about later sure. on. Was was a creative career like a non-negotiable for you? With all of those interests, like all of your interests, to, at least to an outsider looking in, they're incredibly yeah. creative. They're they're all storytelling, um, and you know that links into another conversation we're going to have in a little bit. But just yeah. Wanted, yeah, is that were you just somebody who was like I need to. I, I need to share stories. I need to create. I think I always liked, I mean, when I was a kid, I was just like thinking back. I thought about this recently, actually. A lot of therapy. <laughs> Going back in time, thinking about why I do the things I do. Um, uh, I was really um, a heavy, like, imaginative child, um, like, heavily imaginative i was you know fighting the apple tree in the backyard that was really like a giant squid with a thousand arms you know um and i loved kind of like recreating the movies i was watching and i often played alone so i'm like so it's like you know sword fighting nobody um and trying to kind of like put on these little um presentations not even for anyone but try to kind of like get my friends to take part in the little stories that i want to like play out um, and trying to find ways to kind of like gamify that so that I wouldn't bore my friends to death. I don't know if I was ever really that enamored of telling stories to people when I was young. That kind of came later, I think, when I um started like thinking about the like the theory of storytelling and like um especially kind of started really with music. I think I. I, I did really like reading fantasy and I, I just was, I loved, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia. It was like the first series that I read when I was really young and I just fell into it. But I had no interest or 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 even thought that I was capable of creating something like that. I just always thought I would be kind of producing what someone else did, um, which is still storytelling, but I wasn't going to be the, you know, the generative idea builder. Um, that didn't really start happening until music. My taste in music is uh, um, antiquated. Like I haven't quite gotten past the 1870s yet. I'm like, I'm like still with Brahms. I'm like, I'll see when I'll move on after that. Um, I like a cult, like pop culture is like a real uh, uh, cultural blind spot for me. Um, in a lot of like my, I just love classical music and romantic music, and so I'm like. Oftentimes, that's what I'm listening to and analyzing. And there was just like a some point I was listening to Brahms' first violin uh, sonata. And I just, um, it was the thing that kind of convinced me that I wanted to learn how to do that. Because I just kept thinking I would listen to like a Tchaikovsky symphony or Beethoven. Beethoven is brilliant. And think about like 
God, if only I could make something like that, hmm. that would be so cool. But it's not for me. But there is a little bit of a, a kernel there. There's a, there was a desire in the back of my mind to be able to create something like that from scratch. Um, and this piece of music, this Brahms violin sonata. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And so I started learning how to do it. And it, that kind of exploded into this, I don't know, this this desire to make stuff fresh. So I started taking classes at Second City and the writing program and um, thinking about, uh, you know, writing music for stuff. So that was kind of my focus. I'm like, you know, I'm going to do like little sketches and write music for things. So I wrote a musical. I wrote a, a Beowulf musical years ago and I was Beowulf and performed it. It was very cool. But um, it was it was my interest to kind of like contribute to the theater productions I was doing as a as a composer. I was interested in creating stories more once I started playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> nice. Um, and as often happens with Dungeon Masters, which I am a Dungeon Master, sometimes professionally even, um, that uh, nobody else wanted to do it. And so I was like, fine, I'll do it. And turns out I really love doing it. And it just occurred to me that I was like, wait, I'm making all these stories up right now. Why can't I just kind of like, I'll turn it into prose and we'll we'll make it a story. And it turns out it's not that simple and it's very difficult, but it was kind of, it pushed me to do that. So I was writing music. I was writing music for those campaigns. I was writing little stories for the campaigns. Um, it all just kind of culminated into a, the writing part. So it, it was a slow build, I guess, long story short. Um, I didn't always necessarily want to be telling my own stories. I wanted to, I don't know, there was something about, I mean, certainly the attention. I mean, <laughs> there's always a little bit of narcissism in an actor, I think. Um, I wanted the attention. I wanted to do something well. I like being good at the thing. Um, and that was something I was good at. I was good at acting. I was good at singing. I was good at performance. I command a stage, if you will, if I'm ever on one. Um, and it, that just the, the knowing intuitively that I'm good at it was the, I don't know, that inspired kind of more as I went. I get that. So when, when first starting and making those, um, when first starting narration and in those early audio books, what would you say was the biggest challenge that you had to overcome when you first started? I didn't have much money, so uh, that certainly was challenging. I, uh, When I first, first started, I was still living in an apartment with a, a an ex. Well, they weren't my ex yet, but then they eventually were. But I was in a closet, um, and that actually worked really well. It was nice. I got like a, you know, a Blue Yeti microphone and... I was like sitting in my closet and it was nicely isolated. And um, But then when I had to leave, I didn't have much money and got it like a little studio. And so I kind of had to make do with this small studio space and kind of just treat the whole thing. And so I got like this little like stupid tent, <laughs> covered it in blankets so I could hide inside the tent. And it didn't really work that well. You can even hear it when you're like, my <laughs> early stuff you're like hmm, where is he um <laughs> it was good enough obviously to like you know pass all of the the qa stuff but now i'm like oh i'm embarrassed oh geez so heavily processed to just kind of like cut out that reverb um and you know it, it was it was finding the 
space to do it. That was number one challenge. And number two, I think, was finding the t like self-motivation to do it. And not because I wasn't going to do it, but it was harder to do than I expected. And it took more time than I expected, as everything always does. And um, I was working too much. So it was, you know, I wasn't sleeping very much. And I was, you know, out during the day trying to make deliveries at lunchtime and at dinner time, you know, doing my Grubhub and Postmates and stuff. And then coming home and trying to record for hours and I'm already exhausted and then it's difficult. And so then I'm pushing more. And this is like a problem I still have, of course. I'm just like always packing too much time, too much work in a smaller amount of time. Um, and so it was trying to figure out that work-life balance a little bit. Um, that was a struggle for years and years. I mean, it's still it's still a struggle really in the end. But um, yeah, it was the equipment space and then that kind of that mental, I don't know, the conscientiousness was a little over, <laughs> it was too conscientious. I'm like, I really need to get this done and I'm going to like suffer to make it happen because, you know, I'm ignoring reality a little bit about like, here's what I can actually accomplish. And, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, refuse to, to believe that's all. <laughs> I want to do more. I'm a superhuman. <laughs> I really resonate with that, you know, and especially like if, if you're, if you're transitioning from a, a nine to five or, you know, even when acting on stage, you have rehearsals, you have a set time to be there. You're told when to be there and you have to, have to um you know do that but whereas with this work with narration work if that if, if this is your you know your, your full-time thing um you of course have a deadline but the day's your oyster to do whatever you kind of want to do it with how are like how were you adapting to i can kind of do whatever i want all day yeah like how, yeah like how did you how did you find oh find that there's a big conflict there because i think I still have that conflict a little bit where I'm like, I can do whatever I want. I'm a goddamn adult. <laughs> I can choose whether I take today off because I want to. Um, and, you know, there's a uh, there's a little bit of a an OCD bit in there where I'm like, no, if I if I um, and diagnosed, so nobody panic. I'm diagnosed. I take drugs. Blah, blah, blah. But it's a you know, I'm I'm. I have um, like this irrational fear that if I like don't do the work as I scheduled or promised myself to do that, like everything's going to fall apart. Um, I will get in the habit of taking the time off and then um, I'll get lazy and I won't be able to finish and then I'll be really behind and then I won't be able to do my work and then I'm going to lose all my money and then it's all gone. Um, uh, so that's still, that's still a, a, a challenge now even um but there is you know there are glimmers of hope there <laughs> it's nice to be able to you know someone last minute's like hey i'm in town can you meet up i'm like well yeah because i can just go do things uh when i want and i can work whenever i want um the caveat of course being like there are times in the day when my brain works better than others um so you know, and that, that even changes, which is like a new discovery for me where I'm like, well, I'm apparently in uh, my 4 to 9 p.m. time now, 
uh, where that's that's my ideal time. And sometimes it's like, oh, I'm really great if I start at 8 a.m. and I'm like done by noon. And like now I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm like waiting till six really? <laughs> at night. And I'm like, oh, I guess I should start working. <laughs> and then I'm like really productive for a little while. But I just like the rest of the day, I'm like, what do I do? I don't know. Um, it's it's always a little bit in flux and not having to have uh, a routine that is uh, that uh, is imposed upon me. Um, there is a, a comfort to that on one end and then on the other end, it can cause a lot of anxiety too if I'm just not disciplining myself enough. Um, so I kind of hug, it's always, it's been a struggle of like hugging that self-discipline and um relaxation that freedom bit back and forth yeah yeah how much are you sort of setting like how much are you, are you planning for a day's work typically is it do you have like a set amount of time or a set amount of chapters or pages or whatever that you record every day yeah i do uh or i try to and i'm trying to be kinder to myself um because i think it was maybe like I'm often have to do it anyway, but I, I have like very fancy spreadsheets that like do all these calculations for me and tell me how much I have to do in the day. And, um, cause I, when I'm procrastinating, I'm like playing with like formulas on notion and I'm like, hmm, how do I figure out how much I should read today? Um, and I was doing three hours a day. I wanted to do three finished hours every day of audio. Um, and for a while I was doing it and then I got super burned out. Hmm. Um, I was going to say that's and then I was a lot. Finding out that, yeah, I was finding out that most yeah. people weren't doing that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, uh, I guess I could calm down. Um, but of course, I'm also very bad at saying no or fear of losing a gig or, um, you know, saying like, well, I can do it in six months. Is that OK? And they're like, no. Well, okay, fine. I can I can fit it in now. So now I have to do three hours a day in order to even like get it in. But if I'm if I'm being kind enough, if I am being um, also strict with myself, I would say like two hours is pretty good. Um, if it's just like around two, I like to get over two, but around two is I think reasonable um, for me, especially now having had practice doing like three hours, three and a half hours a day for like months. Like, oh, two is easy. Jeez, it's like old hat. Um, but that's I it tends to be finished hours is what I'm what I'm going for. Um, which ends up kind of like roughly equating to a word count. Um, you know, it's like, I don't know, twenty thousand words, maybe something like yeah, that. Yeah, the say it's around sort of nine thousand an hour, don't they? Yeah, um, I think I'm yeah. a little fast, and I I don't know if that's a problem. Hey, listeners, <laughs> let me know if I'm speaking too quickly. Um, uh, not now in my audiobooks, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's like that's I I I wonder about it because I'm like I do the calculation. I'm like, oh, well, that was like ten thousand an hour. Was that too fast? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I did well. Oh, whatever. You yeah. hinted there about asking for feedback. How are you with yeah. reviews? Do you do you um, um, do do you do, you know is that because they I I get different answers from everyone I ask about this, um, and some that I suspect may be telling a little bit of a fib. <laughs> but like, how much attention do you pay to to your reviews? Um, I 
don't take notes from my reviews. Um, so that's that's one thing that I was like, I, I mean, I was an actor for a while, and my shows were getting reviewed, and very rarely was I actually ever reviewed. Uh, sore spot, but the, um, it was a common thing as an actor to get feedback all the time. I'm either auditioning for things and not getting it or, you know, trying to do a thing on stage and I get notes and I need to change what I'm doing. It's, it's like, it's, it's, um, part of the collaborative feedback, you know, cycle. Um, I'm running into that a lot now in my writing. I, I find I'm actually very good at taking feedback. I like, I like getting notes. Um, I think I, I would probably be less okay <laughs> if my reviews weren't consistently good. If I wasn't getting, you know, mostly five-star reviews on Audible, then I'd probably be upset about it. Um, but now I, I do some, every now and then I look through them. I want to see what people are saying. Um, part of it is like knowing that, my overall ratings are very good, so I can be sure to find good reviews. And oftentimes, even if people don't like the book, they're like, but the narrator was great. I'm like, ah, oh, yes, I made it better. See, look at me. Um, but I think I am, because of that, I'm able to have a bit of a sense of humor about it. And I just love when people hate me. On <laughs> I think it is so funny. Um I, my favorite one I just read recently, it was like someone was like, book's terrible. I hated it. I don't like Pavi. <laughs> like, that's so funny. I don't I don't know why. It's just like no no preamble, really, no reason why. It's just like, I don't like him. I'm like, okay, <laughs> cool. Um, I just, uh, I don't know. And like the other times when people are like, you know, you can't take much of it that seriously. It's like they, they blame me for the character that the author wrote. Hmm. Weirdly, I've heard that before. And I was yeah. like, "God, I hate Pavi. They made the character so whiny." I'm like, "I mean, the character was whiny. I don't know. I didn't do that. <laughs> someone else wrote the book. You know that, right?" Um, yeah. I had someone I, email yeah. me through my website telling me that they didn't like where the character's storyline went. They thought that they should have ended up with somebody else. And he's like, "That's got mm. nothing to do with me." Yeah, it's like, "Oh well, thank you for your feedback. I'll pass it on to the author, I guess." I don't, I don't know. He's <laughs> been done. <laughs> he's yeah. Like, it's like I it's, it's I finished. I don't I don't know what to do for you. Um, yeah, I I I do like looking at the feedback. Um, and I you know uh, especially with the narration, you know, it's like it's just like Joe Schmo on the street is like I liked it or I didn't, and there's not a whole lot of thought that goes into it, so there's not much to take from it. Um, if I am, I will listen to my husband. <laughs> he gives me feedback. Um, I have some friends that if they listen, like I have some, uh, you know, voice coaches and things like that, that they, um, if they have feedback, I like to listen to that too. Um, especially if I'm creating something fresh, then I want the feedback. Um, for the narration reviews, I, I find them more amusing than I do threatening or helpful even. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Your, um, your work in the fantasy adventure genres are so adored. Um, yeah. I, I was looking through um, the Audible, and, and you're right, people really do love them. Um, and there's some fantastic reviews um, in there. Just want to put that out there. Thank um, you. 
<laughs> um, what is it about you know the the mystical, the magical adventures that that draw you in as as a performer? Hmm, that is a good question. I always liked fantasy a lot. Um, you know, Star Wars as a kid, and then getting older, and it's like Lord of the Rings, and I played you know Zelda forever, and 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 you know now I'm you know, professionally doing Dungeons and Dragons and reading these fantasy stories. I I think, um, as most people are, drawn to these uh, stories of great stakes um, and uh, fantastical elements that you can kind of separate yourself, but you can still imagine the what if and um, revel in the, the, I don't know, the magic of... He, people in dire straits we like to see that um there's an interesting um theory that i uh i guess i stumbled upon it i don't know i'm taking writing classes now with the story grid and i really like the story grid kind of framework um for structuring stories or or editing them and um thinking about how the the kind of um line by line writing and and word choice and what it means for this story at large it's like gets very nitty-gritty um but there is a sean coin is the author of the story grid and he had this i don't know master class seminar that he talked about kind of his his theory which i don't know if it's actually real but uh i found it compelling there's the theory of like why we like stories and if we imagine, you know, back in like ice ages, like like the calamity of like 10,000 years ago that like almost wiped out humankind, right? There's some like evidence of this maybe. I don't know. He said so. So I'm going to go with it. We're just going to assume that he's right. Um, some calamity has almost wiped out our entire species, right? Most people didn't survive. And so it's like that uh, Victor Frankl quote. I think it's in there. And he says something about the guilt of the, the survivor's guilt is – knowing that the best of them are no longer here. Everyone who survived did so by scratching down from the bottom and selling out their brothers. And, you know, it's like the best of us fought and died. And everybody left was not the best of us. And there's something similar to that that he's like, imagine this calamity 10,000 years ago that most of the species like dies. And you have... Um, everybody left were the people that those people protected, right? They they stood at the thing and they they took the brunt of it and they all died. Well, you have this basically species of cowards now that kind of like lived in the cave and hid away, but they had an example of something that they could look to and they could pass on that story for just maybe a, a better way to live to the, well, I knew that I survived because of this thing. And I can tell the story to kind of give the um, other people who need guidance um, in their lives, a, a model to follow and therefore storytelling. Right. So we tell stories about the people who, who aren't able to tell their story because they died. And I don't have any of those skills, but I do know the stories. I'm going to tell you the story so that you can maybe take a little bit of that with you. And now we have a, 
our entire lives are stories, right? It's like we not only watch stories and it's it's been a part of our civilization forever, we also storify our lives. We make our, our and lives are not stories at all. Like we, but we imagine them that way. We imagine a cohesion. We imagine our lives in these chapters and as ourselves as protagonists and there's a through line and there's a reason for everything. And so I think that these kind of action, adventure, fantasy stories, looping back around after that whole long thing, um, they speak directly to that visceral survival instinct and wanting to um, honor that thing that maybe we don't have or we think we don't have to um, be able to uh, experience these things that we're very likely to actually encounter once or twice in our lives to some extent in a safe environment. You know, we can just watch this story. We can read this story or listen to the story and experience that to some degree to prepare us a little bit for that when we come to it, to give us guidance um, on kind of how to be human. Um, I think, and I think that fantasy just kind of, you know, it plays to the the mythology element. You know, we've been making stories with these fantastical gods and creatures and things forever, um, and it's it's like another kind of iteration. It's the it's the descendant of that instinct. God, that was such a good answer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Specifically about why storytelling is so important. Yeah, and why it means so because you're absolutely right. It is ingrained. Um, in our DNA. Yeah, I, I'm blown away by that. Sorry. I, uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> I cannot take credit for that. But yeah, it was it was a striking observation that, the you know, when, when I listened to that, I was like, oh, wow. It just makes me think about even just when I tell stories, like, what am I actually doing? It, it just made my entire life mean something, which, again, it's like a storytelling. <laughs> you know, that's the trope, right? It's like, I'm finding meaning. Um, and so who knows if it's even true, but it's really, you know, it 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 kind of ticked a box in my brain. Then a moment. Yes. The podcast you co-host with Colin Funk. Yes. Um, then a moment. The podcast where two storytellers talk about stories, two lifelong storytellers talk about. I always get that wrong. The podcast <laughs> where two lifelong storytellers talk about stories. <laughs> talk to me about it. Where did that come about? Why did you want to start this could you could you just tell us a little bit about how it all started and what sure. viewers can can look forward to? Yeah, um, we, my husband and I, are the co-hosts of this podcast. Uh, we'd been talking about doing a podcast for a while, partially because he's always pushing me to like capitalize on my on my audiobook uh, fandom, which is a, a sidebar a very difficult thing to do. To have access to the listeners is like really hard. Uh, for an audiobook narrator, it's maybe it's easier as the author because you get all your words put up. But it's just like, especially when working with like bigger publishers, and there's like a lot of um, restriction about like what I can kind of plug and what I can say. And even then, it's like they have to like wait to the end of the book to be have me list, you know, say something like "follow me" and go find me on Instagram, and I'll say hi back. It's like that's even assuming they heard that thing. And it's like it works, but it's like I get like one or two a month. And I'm like, that's really sweet that you said hi. But, you know, it's like it's really not very easy to like get in touch. So 
all you listeners, go find your narrators that you like and follow them and, and connect with them because they're they're hoping to get to you. Um, uh, but, um, you know, trying to capitalize on those things and create these followings and, and kind of establish a, an expertise in something, in what I'm doing. And our initial thought was to kind of do this um, review of audiobooks. So we, what we were going to do is we were we were going to have, um, you know, uh, just do like these little kind of clips and be like, oh, let's just take a look at the um, the cover and the title and listen to the sample and be like, so what do we think so far of this book? Yay or nay? And then uh, we listen to like the first chapter and then we yay or nay. And then we like go on and re listen to the whole thing. And we specifically wanted to do books that had like no one listening to them. Because I have a bunch like that from early on that I'm like, God, that book is so good. And nobody heard it. Nobody knows that book. And that's a travesty. Um, and so it's like anything that has like less than 10 reviews or something like that. Um, 10 ratings maybe, you know. And um, so then we'd be able to kind of like plug these people who had books that just didn't like do well, even though they were good, or maybe they weren't. And just really being honest about like, here's why it didn't work. Or it's like, oh, it's really good, but the cover doesn't do it justice at all. Um, and really kind of getting into the nitty gritty of like specifically what's going on. Well, turns out there was a lot of work and there was no way to like, you can get like plugins and stuff that sort by ratings and stuff, but you can't even get like how many ratings. It's really hard to figure that out. So it's really just like kind of going through and sifting through Audible, which of course is showing you specifically stuff that you're interested in. And it just was not easy to find. Um, and it was a lot of work and it was stuff that I wasn't necessarily going to read or listen to anyway. And so uh, we kind of like went back to the drawing board and um, trying to figure out what to do. And we were like on our way back from Door County, uh, Wisconsin to Chicago. It's like a four hour drive. And we had just seen The Last Five Years. It is a, a musical um, about a, a, a relationship. Um, it's There's a movie of it on Amazon, uh, incidentally, starring uh, Jeremy Jordan and um, um, Anna Kendrick. And um, as a musical theater nerd, I was like, I was really into the album. It's a really great album to listen to, um, but I've seen it many times on stage and it never works. And we were just talking about kind of that. And we talked for like four hours about just like this story and what we might do and maybe why it doesn't work and what could have happened. And we all realized we were always doing that with stories. We're reading a story or watching a TV show or watching a movie and saying, you know, if they had just like added this one line, that would have just made the whole movie make sense. It doesn't even take a lot. It's just like a little, just tweak it just a little bit and we'll like actually make sense. Or you can add like these two scenes. You don't have to change much. You just add these two little things and it'll just smooth over this thing. Very like show doctor talk. And so then during this conversation, he's like, why don't we just do this for the podcast? We're going to be watching stuff anyway, and we're going to be talking about this stuff anyway. So why don't we just do that in front of a microphone? I was like, that's a great idea. And it could be just like the gamut of media. It could be lots of things. Um, and especially with how we focus on the storytelling, 
um, it was really interesting to start kind of talking about how we could incorporate uh, things that we don't necessarily traditionally think of as kind of um, media that was, uh, uh, you know, um, reviewable in that sense. Like I'm thinking about um, even a podcast episode, like something that's even like nonfiction or um, a uh, video game where it's like, how do we actually tell this story in like a nonlinear way? Because a lot of video games are nonlinear like this. And how does it work? Um, like I'm really interested to do uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild and the new one. I haven't played it yet. But um, like to really talk about like how does the storytelling actually work here? Um, and uh, things like even uh, reality TV shows where like we're, we're in the works of like figuring out how to do like RuPaul's Drag Race and just like talk about like how do they do storytelling in these, you know, grand ways that we talk about it. It's like, well, how does it actually work in this context? And we just thought that was so interesting. And then it turns out we, I mean, I guess you, we can be, uh, uh, you can let us know if this is true, but I think we have, we have a chemistry and a rapport and we like to talk about these things. Um, and we're discovering new things as we talk and it's just, it's very natural. So it was a kind of, you know, the lazy, the lazy man's way in where I'm like, well, I'm going to do this anyway. And I can just like, you know, go to this studio and do the thing I would have done anyway, just in front of a camera, in front of a microphone. Um, and so now, you know, I'm hopefully fingers crossed kind of worse. We wanted to establish ourselves as, you know, maybe someday in the future, like, show doctors or, or story doctors where people are like, my story's not working. Can you come just watch it and just see if I can change, you know, fix it? Um, or even just like, what do you think, you know, preliminary, just, just take a look at it and see what you think. Um, because we're both pretty good at it. My husband, Colin is very, very good at it. He is like, when I write something, he is, he's the alpha reader. He is the first person to look at it. And he always, 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 finds those like three things that are just like, you need to change this and this and this and this, and that'll be great. Um, and to have that skill and be able to talk about these things uh, for an audience that I think maybe doesn't always think of it in these ways. And sometimes it's even just a frustration where it's like watching something that either, you know, I guess frequently it's like, everybody loves this thing and I hate it. And I think everybody's wrong and here's why I hate it. Um, or a little more subtle, it's like, yeah, that thing was good, but it's not good because of what you said. That's not what makes it good. Um, this is actually what you're missing. Here's what people are missing about this, uh, because nobody's talking about it and nobody's bringing it up. Prime example is, um, <clears throat> everything, everywhere, all at once. Everybody loved that movie. And it just felt like nobody was talking about the things that we were noticing about it noticing about like the the um the fact that like the relationship spoiler alert the relationships between like the daughter and the mother they don't actually really change because people don't by the end it's not some like grand like oh we're all different now it feels good you know the, that's not what happens with people the change is so small and so minor and reflects how humans actually behave um another um was uh ted lasso is really similar where it's like 
their conflicts are so genuine and real and they don't expect each other to just kind of like give up because I gave the best argument. That was like a very big problem with like um, the morning show on Apple Plus, where it's like people would have these like, you know, almost it's like poor man's Aaron Sorkin kind of like monologue at someone. And then the person's like, I guess I'm convinced. And it's like, absolutely not. You just got yelled at and you think you're going to be convinced. That's not what happens. People don't just like say the clever, pithy thing. And then everybody else is like, oh, cool. I guess I'm convinced because you you gave me a good argument. That's never how people work. And it's always about relationships. And it's always, it is always about relationships. And if people miss that either in the writing or when they're actually watching, critiquing a show or a movie, you know, it's not just about the hot dog fingers. It's it's the those relationships and how they manifest in the different strategies these avatars in the movie or in the story are actually um employing to get the things that they want yeah has looking into stories when you're consuming stories now i imagine you probably always were as you said it was something that you did but i imagine now since doing the show is that there's even more of a light in that um in that mind's eye when you're watching and consuming stories does has that affected your writing since hmm. taking that much of it? So if you sit down and watch a new TV show and you have in the back of your head, just noting things down, maybe we could talk about this. Oh, did, does that work or not? How do I feel about this? That kind of thing. Does that way of thinking, if you will, because I think most people just kind of chill out. This is, I just don't want to, if, if, if they say it's good, if they say that they're going to do it, then I'm just, you know, I'm an audience member. I don't want to do that. But then obviously there's a few of us who just can't help but notice certain things and it winds us up. But since like, but having that sort of view, has that changed the way that you approach the stories that you, you're creating yourself? Because it's sometimes difficult, um, isn't it, um, when, you, when it's your own stuff? Um, yeah, it is. It's very difficult. And that's why it's very helpful to have such a, a clever you know, story doctor in my midst with my husband, because I, I think I'm good at it too, but I'm not good at it with my own stories. Um, and part of that is I I think I, you know, after all this talk about like structure and like learning how to do it, I, I, I try not to structure too much when I'm creating stuff. I want it to be more organic um, because a lot of this stuff ends up being um, internalized. A lot of it, you know, you don't really have to like, it was like one of the the best pieces of advice for like acting I ever got was like, you don't have to like do all that like background work if you get it. Like you don't have to like do imaginary memories for your character or like figure out what they eat for breakfast or do like substitutions and stuff in your mind if you understand what's happening. And you, you might just in, intuitively know what the character means and what what to do you don't have to do that extra work like why do that if your brain does it you just need it if you're confused or it's not working and so i think there's something similar where it's like i'm just going to write this story and it's mostly going to come out i'm going to create this thing and it's going to be good and there's going to be maybe a few things that need to be tweaked and that's when you bring in a, a strategy or a technique or you do an analysis and you're like, ah, here's actually what's going on and here's the little places where it's not working because most of it will come together because we've been watching these things forever. And that's the thing with a lot of these, 
ideas that we bring in when we're watching or listening or reading things, these are not, you know, imposed on top of story. It's not like, you know, story structure wasn't, isn't like, it's, it's a framework for something that's already happening. When you look at these masterworks that have just been around forever, it's not like, you know, they sat there and be like, well, I'm going to put an inciting incident here and then I'm going to. And maybe they did just like think about it a little bit. But like most of the time when people just tell a story, those things would just happen because we've been watching and listening and reading to stories forever. We've been listening to our friends tell stories around the campfire. We've been watching plays and it just happens. You, you ask like a three-year-old uh, to tell you a story and they're going to start with an inciting incident and a thing that they want and a character and they're going to go through a middle and then they're going to go through to the end of the story and it might be weird and they have a weird imagination, but it's basically going to follow that structure because they just it just happens. Um, so part of it is when I'm watching I think that it changes more what I'm when I'm watching something, I think, than it does when I'm creating something. Um, unless I'm, you know, thinking, overthinking stuff, which I often do when I'm writing. But if I can just like let it go, I'm just like, you know, I'm just going to like write and see what happens. And so it's good. And I can like let it go. But watching is different because once something is a little out of place, then I'm just like out. And then I'm, I, I've just like zeroed in on it. And it's really hard to get back in to moment to moment things, even though if I know in the back of my mind, like actually this was a really good moment, but I'm still thinking about that thing that just like threw me out because now I'm just not in the reality. And, and it also on the other side makes it that much more magical if I forget that I'm watching a story. Um, I forget, you know, watching West Side Story. We talk about this on an episode of um, it hasn't released yet, I don't think, but we have an episode uh, about West Side Story. So we just saw the Lyric Opera did a production here and it, I really liked it, but mostly because I really love that play. And I forget that Tony's going to die every time. And not like intellectually, I don't like, I'm not stupid. Like I know the script, I've read it, I've seen it a thousand times. But there's still it's like watching Moulin Rouge and being like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna like live forever and they're gonna be happy. And at the end, I know she's dying. They've shown me a thousand times that she's like has tuberculosis or something. And um, you know, they get to the end and come with me. And then you're like, oh my god, yay! It's so nice they won. And then she dies, and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot. And those that magic of being lost also becomes a lot more potent when I have this view because it's difficult to stay in there. So a story like really does it if I'm like, oh, I am in it. I'm in this story, even though, I mean, it, it, it triggers that, that, again, that instinctual thing that we have in our minds that suck us into stories, even though I know everything there is to know about stories. Not everything, no, I don't know everything, but the, I am so inundated in stories and I think about them and analyze them so much. And despite that, I can be lost in a story. And that speaks to how good the story is, I think. Do you have like a go-to happy TV show or movie that you plonk yourself in front of if you're oh feeling a little bit? Yeah. Um, 
I love Futurama. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. speaking of like things that make me emotional, that last episode of Futurama, I know they're bringing it back and we'll see how I feel about it. But that last episode of Futurama is just like the best. Um, a movie, I love Moonstruck. It was like a show that my parents used to watch all the time when like my mom was like six. She'd be like, I'm going to put on Moonstruck. Um, and I love it. Cher, Cher, and it's Nicolas Cage's first movie. And Olympia Dukakis won, I think, the Oscar for it. And Cher won the Oscar for it. I mean, it, it, like, it's so good. It's a John Patrick Shandley script. It's, it's brilliant and hilarious. Um, and The Emperor's New Groove is the best. I love that movie. We actually just watched it last night because we're going to talk about it tonight on Then a Moment because it's Colin's birthday on Sunday and we're doing like a special episode, a special like extra. We're going to release two episodes. Surprise, surprise. We're going to release two um, together uh, uh, because one of them is going to be the extra. And we're going to talk about Emperor's New Group. But it's it's like that is just without fail will make me very happy. And it's so good. And the storytelling so good. And the acting is so good. And the it's hilarious. Oh, it's so good. That's fair. I always mine. Mine's mine's Ratatouille. Oh, best beautiful. best film ever made. I love it. It's so cute. <laughs> Did you watch the Ratatouille TikTok musical? Um, I was it just one video. It was for a while, and then they produced the whole thing for Broadway Cares. I have not seen the full thing. I saw a video right. I think it was like one of the first things I ever saw on TikTok. Yeah. Yes, it would have would have been really early, but they because it was that video. It's like uh, the Ratatouille song, and then people started like layering on top of it, and then creating more songs and more characters, and it just got expanded in this whole thing. And then they got like big Broadway stars to come and actually perform the thing. So, um, and it's all Zoom, so it's like from their homes, but you can find it on YouTube. It's like the Ratatouille musical, the TikTok musical. Um, and it's like Adam Lambert and uh, Titus Burgess of Broadway fame and uh, from uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and now Schmigadoon. Uh, he's in it, he plays Ratatouille. And um, it's just, it's wonderful. It's like, it's so silly. And it was like a fundraiser and, um, but it, you should watch it if you like Ratatouille. It's 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 the first thing I'm going to do once we end this interview. Once we end, <laughs> <laughs> screw the rest of my day, clear my schedule. I'm going to watch the Ratatouille TikTok musical. <laughs> um, where's the best place? Where's the best place for people to keep up with everything that you're you're doing, mm. and of course to see and uh, or listen to then a moment. Yes. Um, well, you can find Then a Moment anywhere you find your podcasts, Spotify, Apple uh, Podcasts, Overcast, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then uh, we're also on YouTube. We have very fancy videos. So please watch uh, uh, watch it till you get to see our handsome faces. And we always wear different outfits. So you get to kind of like see what our style is. Um, and then uh, for my other side, we're also, uh, Then a Moment is on all of the socials so it's uh, at then a moment pod basically everywhere if anyone's wondering then a moment is like a line from a musical which is very like stupid and nerdy but it's from into the woods it's from moment in the woods the song from into the woods with the baker's wife singing she's like na, 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 then a moment and we just liked that because we always talk about moments in storytelling anyway all that said it's then a moment <laughs> then a moment pod is where you can find us everywhere. Um, my stuff is usually at Pavi Prochko, P-A-V-I-P-R-O-C as in cat, Z as in zebra, K-O, a good Irish name. 
Um, that's a joke. It's not. <laughs> it's very Ukrainian. And then um, and uh, uh, at Pavi Prochko on Instagram. I am on TikTok sometimes. Um, Facebook. And I have a website, paviprochkonarrator.com uh, and paviprochko.com. There's lots of places, but those are like, if you want to connect with me, Instagram's good. Facebook is good. Um, we'll see about threads. I have no idea what's going on. I'm like <laughs> an old man now. I don't know what's happening with the social medias. Um, and TikTok, you can find me there too. And you can see like live reads. You can see the stuff that I'm working on. Uh, and then, you know, hopefully I'll have more news soon. But as I start writing stuff, that should be that should be up there, too. Fantastic stuff. I'm with you on threads. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's happening. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's like people are like, it's going to be nicer than Twitter. I was like, you lie. It's not going to be nicer than Twitter. Stop <laughs> it. It's going to be a, a hellscape. The same thing. It's going to be a nightmare. I'd love to end the show by simply asking if you have any upcoming projects that you're excited about and anything mm. we can look forward to. Yeah. Um upcoming projects i have um defiance of the fall 10 which is the you know i think probably my biggest series i'm i'm pretty sure uh defiance of the fall 10 is coming out in august so uh, fans can look forward to that um of course the first nine are on audible currently so you can catch up real quick it's an epic uh, I think it's it's like three million words or something um, so far. It's going to keep going for a bit. Well, I have um, a collection of short stories that I am planning to release this year or next year that I would like to um, publish in like a anthology. Um, so uh, I'll be doing some live reads on those uh, on on my socials um, every now and then. Maybe like once a month, I'll be doing one of them. Uh, and then I, I want to have them kind of collected in a in a a package uh, for audiobooks and for for uh, you know Kindle or maybe a little hard copy it if I can get if I can get the funding we'll Kickstarter it maybe how about that everyone go to Kickstarter when I when I do the thing we'll find it um, I think that's those are the big two and then um, as I'm doing it I'm I am. Oh, fingers crossed, producing the music for a big Dungeons and Dragons event here in Chicago. So I'm writing kind of, there's a, it's called Dinner and Dragons and it's supposed to be this big like banquet thing and there's a king and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I'm supposed to produce the music. So as that starts getting created, um, I'll be sharing a little bit of that too. So yeah, I think, I think those are mostly the things that I'm excited about at the moment. Um, and then of course, I'm always just recording more books. Just always, always more books. Sounds fantastic. iPhone can't wait. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that just brings us uh, to a close for this episode and series uh, of the Audiobook Club. All of the links to Parvi's social media, podcast, uh, and recent projects uh, will be linked in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And of course, another huge, huge, huge thank you to you, Parvi, for joining us. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Frustrated by the royalty rates for your audiobook? Annoyed that when the digital distributors say 70% royalties, they actually mean 70% of 50% or 80% of 70%, neither of which is an actual 70%. Wishing there was a way to cut out the middleman? Yet, you want your audiobook listeners to have a smooth and positive experience, and a direct download sale from your website won't deliver that. 
we at Pro Audio Voices hear you. Out of our commitment to our author clients, we've created Amplify, a program that provides an actual 65% of the sales price that you set, that gives you access to your customers' names and emails so you can reconnect with them, and keeps you in the driver's seat. Check it out at ProAudioVoices.com. You'll find Amplify in the marketing menu. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Audiobook Club. This episode was sponsored by Pro Audio Voices. If you have a story you want to bring to life, head over to ProAudioVoices.com to get in touch with industry professionals that can take care of every step of production, as well as offer support and guidance with marketing, growing your brand, and boosting your sales. Once again, that's ProAudioVoices.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.